we are in Romans 8. We are in a segue portion now in between the area of sanctification, which means God setting us apart, in the area of God being sovereign or in control. That starts then in chapter 9, in essence. We pick it up today for reference in verse 14, but we really kind of pick it up in verse 17. 14 just gives us perspective, context. It says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Daddy, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Excuse me. My whole thing just dropped. That's okay. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits in the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. But not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen isn't hope. Why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we don't see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Well, likewise, the Spirit also helps us in, with us in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is. or the, Yeah, the mind of the Spirit is. Because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Will you pray with me please? Father, thank You so much for the honor today of being able to come to You in prayer. Thank You for the privilege of loving on You. Thank You, Lord, that in this room we're dry and warm. Thank You, Lord. It may not be the sanctuary proper, but it's the sanctuary You ordained for the night. So, Lord, here we are now in a room seeking to get closer to You, to become more like You, to be less like the world and more like our Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray Your Word would burst open and come alive for us, grab a hold of us tonight. And in the awkwardness of us sitting in this room, kind of staring at each other, Lord, let Your Word so grab us and captivate us that we can't even see anything else. 
But Lord, just You, exalted, high and perfect, infinite and glorious. And in that, Lord, may we praise You now in the study of Your Word. May we worship You and our desire to apply it. And Lord, here now in this text, minister profoundly, I pray. So Lord, develop it the way You want to, that every one of us would be spoken to. Every one of us, right where we need to hear You tonight, that we would be so addressed, so spoken to, that we could say, God, You are so personal, powerful, perfect, and profound. So Lord, do the work You've ordained for each of us tonight as we commit this time to You. Have Your way, we pray. Glorify Yourself, and may we have so much fun in Your Word now. Thank You, Lord, that we're, we're not a, an organization. Thank You, Lord, that we're not a business. Thank You, Lord, that we're not a politic. We are a family. And as a family, we just sit in this room on, in little chairs, bigger chairs, and on carpets and rugs. And we thank You, Lord. We pray that You would now just minister. We're Your clay, Lord. Shape us as You desire in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would say tonight as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be your authority. Now, I, I, let me start with kind of a, a story. A true story of a couple in our fellowship back in the States. There was a couple who really, really for many years tried very hard to have a child and could not have one. Finally, and I think probably at the prodding of my wife, who's probably the largest adoption advocate in all of California in the time, by her encouragement and others, they decided they were going to adopt from Africa. Now, I don't know if you know anything about a lot of the adoption process in Africa, but it tends to be a little janky. The moment you bring the government into it, there is a margin of corruption that often is unnassable. Nonetheless, they prayed, they trusted. The man was fairly wealthy, so he was a little less concerned about the money, more concerned to make sure that he would have the child. The government of this particular country in Africa made clear if they were going to adopt from this country, they had to be a resident of that country for six months. They had to live in the country, and they are still to this day several countries in Africa that have that as a stipulation. Now, they both couldn't do that. But the husband left the wife there and one of their friends, assumedly a servant, uh, <clears throat> to go and stay with the wife to make sure she was taken care of. And they saw the boy. And when they saw the boy, they, they loved him before they met him. He could have had an arm growing out of his head and six eyeballs. They would have loved him. But the moment they saw him, the child had already received pictures of them. He ran to them and said, Daddy, and ran over and grabbed this total stranger that had this bond that they had never met personally. They had both seen pictures. They had seen video. The parents, I remember showing the video to us. My wife cried, which is fairly normal under those circumstances. And we watched. As, as they said, that's going to that's be our son. And then she stopped and said, no, no, that is our son. And they had been praying for the child. They realized, much like ourselves, we had been praying for our child from the moment they were born. And when that child came and wrapped his 
arms around the leg of this man and he picked up this child and he hugged him. See, he, the, the father just knew that he would do anything. He would die for this child and no money in the world didn't, didn't matter. But the problem is, six months was a long time. In that six months, he had to go back to work. And so he went back to work, but he left his wife and this other person there. And this man was wealthy enough that just about every weekend, from the moment he got off on Friday early afternoon to the time that he would go to work on Sunday mo- or Monday morning, he left, flew to Africa, spent that time with his boy, didn't even sleep unless the child did, and went back to work, slept on the plane on the way back. Did that for six months. He got a special deal with the airlines. I'm sure whatever special deal it was, it still wasn't the deal we would like for it. By that point, I think he should have just bought a plane. Anyway, <laughs> during that time, every, every weekend that he came, he would show up with toys. He would show up with gifts. You would imagine new stuffed animals, new books, a Bible that he would have for his son to read. This is his son now. And he'd drop these things off. And, and throughout the week, there would be the mother and this other gal saying, don't worry, he'll be back. And the child would get scared. Do you want to call him on the phone? Let's have FaceTime with him. And there were a couple times we'd call and he'd be passed out from being so exhausted over the weekend, as you might imagine. You know, and he didn't care. He would wake up and he'd go, oh, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for you. And, and for six months, that was the case. And by this point, the boy had amassed quite, a, quite an amount of gifts from the father. When that father came, he had already worked out a deal with the airlines for the idea of getting all of, that, all of his toys back with him because he knew at that point it was going to be quite a, quite a haul. But when he went to take his son, finally to take his son home, he had none of his toys with him. And he asked this boy, well, what was the deal? Where, where are your toys? And he says, look it, I don't care. I get you. Why would I care about the toys? Those children don't. And he gave all of his toys to all the other children in the orphanage because he knew that they didn't. He goes, look it. They don't get a dad. This is the best they get. And with that, he, see, the kids started getting heat. And the reason he started getting kind of abused by the other children was because he had a dad they didn't. That was kind of their attitude. But he didn't care. I mean, he wouldn't trade it. He wouldn't have them not, you know, be that way. If, he, if what it took was not to catch the heat to not have a dad, he wouldn't have swapped that at any given moment. Now listen, in all of that time, there was, from the moment that the adoption was settled to the moment when the father was going to come, there was this horrible waiting period. Though there were gifts given, though there were visitations, though there were moments where you just knew the father was there. Yet in all of that, you ached for that moment when you just got to hold on to your dad forever. And, he's like, and, I, and when he came and got that child, there was a video of him. He held on and he says, I'm never going to let you go. I'm never going to let you go. This is the child speaking. I'm never going to let you go. I've dreamt of this day. And I think, man, how many of us feel that way? Because what this scripture says is the same. What this scripture says is, there is a day coming. When you adopt a child in a country like we did in, in China, you're never really sure the day the child is born. And the reason is simple. To leave a child for adoption is illegal in China. And so the child has to be abandoned. Our daughter was abandoned in a basket 
in front of and at the doorstep of the civil affairs office, which is where they adopt children. So I knew that that mother cared. Every Mother's Day, my wife cries over the mother. And, but see, you don't really, they could kind of go, well, she was dropped off on this day. More than likely, she was born a day or two before that. You can't be sure. But there is a day you can be sure of. In America, and I think actually England should celebrate this more than America, on the 4th of July, we gained America, had gained independence from, from England. But I might say England also gained independence from America. And on that day, in our little town, there's a parade. I mean, our tiny little town is a few, several hundred people. It seems like half of them get up and walk down the street while the other half watch. And, you know, and, uh, and it's just this quirky, goofy little thing. But it's the 4th of July. It's the Day of Liberty. Well, huh, nine years ago, nine, well, eight, almost nine years ago, on the 4th of July, it'll be nine years, we were in China. And in China, we were at the White Swan Hotel. And, and sitting in a hotel room and being brought in, there was the knock at the door. My wife's heart is pounding like crazy. And she had sat me down and warned me because she, she, Shantae was already a daddy's girl. And she had said, look, I just want to warn you. I've done all of this study, which is classic my wife. She reads all the articles. She goes, I just want to warn you. The child will probably, this little girl, will probably latch on to me first because I'm a woman Probably her sister next because she's a woman. She'll take probably several months to warm up to me. And to be honest, I was like, I'm cool with that. We can work into this relationship. I get it for the rest of my life. I'm not in a hurry, right? So what do I, so what do, I do? I'm the classic dad. I've got a camera in one hand and a video camera in the other. I'm like, hey, I'm the dad, right? And they bring in this little girl, this beautiful little girl. She is, she has, um, she's emaciated, very, very, very thin. Her head is sort of roughly exploded from her, from her malnutrition. She, is, um, she has prickly heat, which is something that happens when you're too hot, and she has a cold. So she was a mess. But they bring her in, and as they bring her in, she gets, she's like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like robo-dad, right? I've got all these things. And she just, they, like she, as they carry her back, she kind of catches eyes on me, and she will not look away. I think it was my nose. I think she'd never seen anything that big ever in my life, in her life. But all of a sudden, so they bring her in, so Suzanne's there trying to give her a Cheerio, you know, a little, a little, and, and, and Shantae's like, hey, and she looks back over at me, they bring over to me, and Suzanne's like, are you kidding me? I couldn't leave her the first three days, I couldn't even go to the toilet without bringing her with me. She would cry. Well, and all of that to say this, that that particular day is called Gotcha Day. And that day we know. So for us, the 4th of July is Gotcha Day. There's indisputable what day we got our girl. We knew it. Now, to be honest, we didn't know until the day before what day was going to be gotcha day. We kind of had hints. We had filled out all the paperwork. You do all that stuff. You kind of know. It kind of comes to a head. But sooner or later, you kind of know, in this season, it's going to be gotcha day, one of these days. And you just wait, and my wife just passes out every time the phone rings. We don't know. But there is a day coming, and it's your gotcha day. And when, you, when your gotcha day happens, your heavenly daddy is going to come and take you home. Now, you can kind of get the season of it. Things wind down a little bit. You can start to see the signs of it. Paperwork's been done. And the more I look at the rule book, I kind of see how this thing's wrapping up. 
And for the rest of the world, that's not an exciting day, but for us, it should be the craziest cool day that there's ever been. Because on that day, all of the toys that our God has given us, our Father has given us here, oh, leave them with everyone else. You get your daddy, and nothing else is going to matter. Nothing else is going to matter. Does that make sense so far? Now, look at our text as we pull into this. Did you notice, by the way, here's the problem in the interim. It tells us in verses 17 through 19 or 20 that there is a problem and that is suffering. Did you see that? He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. And did you notice in us? Please hear me. When I think about my adoption to my Heavenly Father, and I see those gifts He's given, those moments when it's so clear He's there, and I can embrace that. We're praising Him. We're loving on Him. And I think, what challenges me the most? Suffering. Because there's a part of me that thinks, well, if you are to protect and provide for me and you love me, well, why do I still suffer? Isn't that just to punish bad people? Isn't that what we do with suffering? Can I say that suffering can happen for one of three reasons, and I kind of put them in the idea of the past, the present, and the future. This is all side note, but it works into our text. The past, or I should say it this way, we suffer sometimes because God does punish, but He only punishes the correct behavior. God doesn't want us to feel awful and rotten unless we are running from Him. But can I say, God does want you miserable if you're running from Him. Why in the world would He want you happy when you're not looking for Him? <laughs> but He not only allows us to suffer to punish, but He also allows us to suffer to purify. That's more our present tense. To purify because God would like to decontaminate us from the things we have already have in our system. And that's what James tells us. And Peter when it says that of our faith of a greater value than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, would be proven genuine and result in praise, honor, and glory when Christ is revealed. But there's another one, not just to punish or to purify, but also to prepare. Like in sports, what I've learned is that no pain, no gain usually is an easier thing to say when somebody else has the pain than when you're experiencing it. But... Paul himself would say, I beat my body into subjection. Now, that's not self-flagellation. But if we really, if all of our Christianity cost us nothing, and there's no sacrifice involved in what we're serving Christ, and we call that our service, I'm not really sure there's applause worthy there. Well, in that suffering, can I just say along, along those lines, it reminds me three things. First of all, that we live in a fallen world. Because I live in a fallen world, I am reminded in that, that it's a symptom. Suffering is a symptom of this world. And someone asked, 
well, why do good people suffer? And I'd say, well, you have to get to Romans 3 before you get to that, where it tells us that there's no one good. But you say, well, why would a child have to suffer? That child didn't earn it. It reminds us we live in a fallen world. But not only in a fallen world, we also live in a foreign world. And suffering reminds me that this world is in my home and it helps me detach. Because the more you suffer, and that's not like I would want you to sign up for that role, but the more you suffer, the more you think, can't wait to check out of this place, baby. But a lot of suffering, to be honest, really does come from holding on to what really isn't mine anymore. But third, I not only live in a fallen and a foreign world, but I also live in a forlorn world. A world that doesn't love Jesus. And because of it, it's a desperate world. And all of the suffering that I watch around me, and I had a whole day today from about 2.30 on, where I walked around, and I actually walked all the way down to Leicester and Beth, and I watched people barfing on each other and guys yelling at each other and girls yelling at guys and guys yelling at girls and people yelling at shopkeepers, shopkeepers yelling at people. People, of course, yelling at those guys who write the parking tickets, but that's kind of normal. And you, know, and you look at all of that and you just look and you look at the suffering that is around you. And, it is, and you look and sometimes you just look and you see across from you there's a couple and, it's, and they're scaring at each other and there's so much bitterness and anger and resentment that you get hurt looking at the couple. They don't say anything with their mouth, but they say volumes with everything else. And you look at that and you go, there is suffering all over that. And I'm reminded, this is a forlorn world. And I'm the one that's supposed to have a joy that transcends because this isn't my home. This is a foreign world to me. My citizenship isn't here anymore. Is yours? Now listen, with all of that suffering, creation is going to suffer with it. Summer submits to winter. Youth wanes to age. Virility cowers to weakness. Abundance to depletion. Life dims even to death. Repeating over and over, you can hear it. Temporary. 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 Last night, my kids got to watch Ruthie for the first time, Space Jam. Oh, she loved that. That was Michael Jordan. Now, these days, the man has the ice his knees to play golf. But there was a day when that wasn't the case. And I was just reminded again, temporary. Temporary, temporary. That which you may do amazing today, you might not tomorrow. Here's the good news. You don't have to. But all of this world shows us that. Uh, there was a man, by the way, in the 18, 1850s, 1860s, that ultimately came up with the concept of thermodynamics, the laws of thermodynamics. And the simplest one is order goes to disorder. You don't have to be brilliant to figure that out. Look at your sock drawer. Or for those of you who help set up, just look at all of the leads when we're done with a Sunday morning. Or put them in orderly. Look at them when you actually get them on the next Sunday morning to start again. Somehow in the middle of the night, they go and they inter- intermingle. It's unbelievable how that happens. Everywhere around us, creation groans. And as we get older, we join in the symphony. Every time we get up, and even if we get older later on, even when we sit down. I remember the first time my hydraulics started making noise on my way up, where you're like, alright! Where you're like, you're like cheering yourself on, right? You can do this, you can do alright, right? But I never imagined that it would happen on the way down. You know, I'm like, no, I'm like, alright! Yeah. What? 
I don't even have gravity to help me out. I just don't want to land too hard. Now listen. If all I have is this world around me, it's really bad news. And I'll fight, and I'll campaign, and I'll grapple, and I will do whatever I can to extend and to bolster my denial that I can't have this forever. That I was, well, okay, I'll just say it. Um, I was signed to Paul Mitchell for years as a hair model. Why do you think I wear a hat today? It just don't last, baby. And you'll fight it. You'll cover it. You'll work it. And you see, you know, and you watch those guys. I remember when the first time I saw a guy with a comb over and I thought, oh, man, that looks bad. And now I'm looking and going, that don't look so bad. Here's the problem. I mean, here's the problem. In fighting all of that denial, it actually is testimony that I love it. And that's the problem, is that I love this world that's so temporary. And that's damning. Because I know the Scriptures, and I know it says in 1 John 2.15, whoever loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. And it tells us in James 4.4, it says, don't you know friendship with the world is to be an enemy of God? I hate that. But before the fall... There wasn't any pain. There wasn't any death. There wasn't any entropy. Man just tended and kept the garden. He had authority over, listen, he had authority over all creation. Isn't it amazing how significantly far-reaching our sin really can get? If you think about it, all creation suffered from that disobedience. Enter death, enter suffering, enter painful childbirth, what God said, right? The first 316 in Scripture, ladies, it's all yours. Yeah. But we knew that there was a place called Eden. Cheden. Can you say Cheden? Cheden means pleasure. God didn't call it the garden of work. He didn't even call it the garden of fruit. He called it the garden of pleasure. It was sinless. It was fellowship. It was unimpeded intimacy. But sin caused a downward spiral just like my life or your life and it decayed and crumbled around me just like you. All the order to disorder, all the potential to deficit and every step then was another yard or meter farther from Eden. And then we said yes to Jesus who was tempted in the wilderness and then was tempted in the garden. Because Adam was tempted in the garden and then was brought out to the wilderness. But at my rebirth, God placed within me the catalyst of intimacy, His Holy Spirit. And His Holy Spirit reminds me there was a place where man was intimate with God. Intimate. Nothing between them. And every day I walk in His Spirit, I get another meter closer to the Eden God intended with me. But the problem is, for me, it's not like a walk. It's more like a cha-cha. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like one step. Right? I look ridiculous. But it is really kind of where I'm at. I mean, let's be honest. Is that you too? Or is it just me? It's like, I'd love to just tell you that I'm charging with everything for, for Eden. No. Because somewhere, someone says, new and improved. 
three easy payments and I'm running back and forth. And creation reminds me and it aches farther and farther from Eden. This world is global warming. It's funny, when I was in school, it was global cooling. I don't know what happened. It wasn't that long ago. Of course, when I was in school, the world was only 10 million years old. Now it's like 300 million years old. Now, listen, I wasn't in school that long ago. And the spirit that is the catalyst of intimacy between me and that father craves Eden. And since the fall has been pleading with man, means the word in the Hebrew, pleading with man as an ambassador of Eden. But God promised this whole thing's going to wrap up, and when He does, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And all this, you won't even remember it. Isaiah 65:17 makes that clear. Isaiah 66:22 says, "For as the new heavens and the new earth which I shall make remain before me." says the Lord, so shall your descendants remain. He says, look at it, it'll never end, this new place. Second Peter 3.13 says, Nevertheless, according to his promise, we look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And now I say this in Revelation 21.1, that he saw a new heavens and a new earth because the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Sounds like with fire, according to Peter's. And that's what's going to await us. Now, that particular child that was adopted came with a dog. That was part of the trouble. That dog had been with the child when that child had parents, before that child had lost the parents. Mm -hmm. That dog had actually been around when the child was a street child. That dog had been brought into the orphanage with the child because that was all the child knew. And listen, with that child, everything that that child experienced, that to some degree, so did that dog. And the day that that child finished his adoption, had the dog cast in too, didn't it? Can I just say, the whole world around us is a lot like that dog. See, God didn't, isn't going to come for us to redeem the world. He's going to come for us because He loves us and wants us. The world is the dog that gets to benefit from it. Listen to this text. Let's develop it a little bit. First in verse 17 it says, if we're children, then we're heirs. Now, heir means you get, you get what the Father has to offer. But notice it says, and if we're heirs of God, then we're joint heirs with Christ. Now understand, a joint heir means you get the same amount. I want you to recognize in Scripture, God never puts Jesus in his heart above you. Do you know that? You are loved just as much as Jesus is by the Father. Just as much. You're a joint heir. Jesus actually doesn't get anything more than you do in regards to that. And it says then, if indeed we suffer, but notice it doesn't say, and this is how you could read it if you're not careful, it doesn't say, if indeed we suffer for him, or about him, or beside him. It says, if we suffer with him. And that's the first thing we better grab a hold of. In the suffering you're going to have here, in the orphanage we call this world before we have our gotcha day, you'll never suffer alone. And even with this child, one of the beautiful things was at least with him, there was a mother that the child could always crawl into the arms of and be reminded, your father's coming, don't worry, I know him well. And the same way the Holy Spirit reminds us of that. 
Those moments when, and understand, I don't think that God would be really blessed with the fact that the reason we want to go to heaven is just to escape this. And it seems like when we talk about the rapture or when we talk about going to heaven, it seems like that's where we normally go. Can't wait to get out of this. You know, I had a really, really spicy Indian food yesterday. Today I was praying for the rapture. <laughs> you know, that, and this guy, you can see God going, wow, that really blesses me. When was the last time, and this may be a better group to ask, that you just said, God, I just want to be with you because I love you. And we're singing songs because we love him. And in the middle of that, you're like, God, if this could get more real right now, I would happily take it. You realize? We crave that God today. Listen to this. Behold, or beloved, it is not yet been revealed what we shall be. Will we have hair in heaven? (laughs) Will we be big and muscular? Will we have no fat? Will we all be in our 20s or will we all look like little naked babies with harps? It hasn't been revealed what we shall be. But we do know this, that when he does come, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And listen to this next statement. And everyone, well, let me ask you this first. Do any of you get excited about that thought? That there is a day when you see him face to face, you're going to be like him. Ladies, I don't think that means you're going to have a beard. (laughs) Deep blue surfer eyes and all the things that are non-Jewish that we see in in the posters. Because to ache to be like Christ, who was perfect, is perfect, the same yesterday, today, forever, loves absolutely, completely and absolutely patient. And the thing about it, oh, are we even going to have to, ex- to, to display unlimited patience? Come on in, Lord. Um, sorry. Are we going to have to, ex- I mean, where would we even have to show patience, for instance, if we're living in heaven? Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, think about that. Where are we going to have to long suffer in heaven? I mean, all of these, like, we'll have these qualities we won't even have to actually use. But listen to this. After that statement in 1 John, it says, everyone who has this hope in him is, not will be, is as pure as he is pure. Now let me ask you something. Does Scripture lie? No, honestly, that's a question you can answer. Does Scripture lie? Scripture doesn't lie. So when it tells what it says, it tells the truth. Did the Scripture just say that those who are hungry for Christ's return to be like Him are in the sight of God as pure as Jesus? That's what it says. Now either you can say, well, that, I can't get my head wrapped around that. God never said you had to understand it. Do you know what He said you had to do? Believe it. Difference. I don't understand everything about God, but I believe Him. I don't understand everything about an airplane, but I'll fly in it. I don't go, excuse me, but until I can actually fully understand everything about thermo and aerodynamics, I'm not getting in this thing. The guy's like, fine, we'll sell your seat to someone else. I mean, in the end of it, it's like, look it, I, I trust that this is going to get me from one place to another, and I think we'll actually get there in one piece. Actually, I like planes because I kind of figure this. They're like, if you get in an accident in a plane, you just go to heaven. You know, you get an accident like in something else, you could be like maimed, like your arms and legs are gone. But like, 
plane, it's like, you know, they say there are less accidents in a plane, but if you go, you die. That's win for us. We're okay. Now, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be more, but here's the point. God says that if we crave his return because we know we'll be like him, he says, yeah, I've already given you credit for that. Because it says if we suffer with him, we will also be glorified together. And he says this in verse 18, Now I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. The sufferings of this present time. Well, what sufferings? Now think about how much suffering you've experienced for Christ. Someone may have pointed and laughed. Have, have any of you, honestly, have any of you actually genuinely been beat up for your faith here? A couple of you maybe haven't been some serious harassing. Think about this good fight that we fight. So, in other words, we're intimidated by a look, by a snide comment that we won't hear that's like a whisper. That's it. That silences the soldiers of heaven. Is that the craziest thing? Could you imagine? God recruits an army. We have got the bazooka of God's Word wrapped around us with the ammunition of God's Holy Spirit. We're like spiritual rambos. We come walking out of this thing and someone goes, ha, 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 look at you with the fatigues. And you're like, yeah, sorry, I'll just sit down over here. Who would pay to see that movie? And you think, that's what a soldier for Christ looks like? You know, double-decker buses, it rains. And when it does, the whole top window fogs up, doesn't it? And I think, that's a billboard. So here I am, and I'm getting up and going, Jesus died for you and rose to give you life. Choose him. Give a couple scripture references. And I'm sitting there, and as I'm doing this, some guy is walking, some guy is walking down, because you know, the steps are right behind that, right? To go down to the lower level of the, the bus. And some guy goes, oh, how retarded. <laughs> and he did it in such a way that he thought, eh, that'll stop you. I'm like, really? I'm like, that's the best you got? You know, the sad thing is, that night, when I went to sleep, I was still agitated about that comment. <laughs> and let's be honest, I was like, can't believe it. I mean, we had an amazing day. We had shared Jesus. People came to know the Lord that day. But I went to sleep that night. retarded. I can't believe it. It wasn't like the guy went, well, I'm going to throw you out the bus. Nothing like that. Beloved, if we were a rugby team, I may ask how many of you have ever even been hit? I wouldn't think we were a rugby team. <coughs> if we were a football team, and I asked how many of you have ever had to rub your shins, and none of you have had to rub your shins, I don't think we would actually be a football team. Yeah, I was trying to, trying to meet you where you're at. <laughs> you're like, American football, rubbing shins? No, no, that's not. It's part of the game, isn't it? I mean, I think that 60% of the football game, I, that's why every time I turn it up, I see our guys on the ground holding their shins. But, but, but here's the point. Is that you kind of know if you're going to step on the field, especially if you're doing your job, you're probably going to be a target. You know what? In, in sports, that's a compliment. If, some, if, if people go, oh, no, 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 just let him go, 
That's an insult. Don't worry, he's no threat. You know, I hope he gets the ball. <laughs> then, you know, that, yeah, all right. That's what I was hoping for. It's like, oh, no, whatever you do, don't let him get the ball. You know, those of us who have played basketball on one of those basketball Sundays, sometimes there are certain people that are hot for a moment. And that just means they just like, kind of cough, the ball bounces, it goes in. It doesn't matter what they do. It bounces off of someone's head, it goes in. And yet at that point, you just kind of people look and go, whatever you do, don't let Lucas get the ball this time or whatever. And, you know, and it's like, but the moment someone says something like that, Lucas could go, yeah, awesome. Right? <laughs> whatever you do, man, take that guy out. Right? Then we're out there on the, the mission field. The mission field. In other words, we're out there on the mission field in the orphanage of this world. And someone says something like that and we're like, I just can't believe they did that. I didn't think there would be any opposition. You didn't? Well, I didn't think it would come against me. Are you really that bad? But this suffering right now cannot possibly be compared to the glory that will be revealed in you when Christ is revealed. Hey, when Dad comes to take you home and you see Jesus face to face, I guarantee you, you'll never be able to evangelize again. It isn't like you can go to heaven and go, do you know about Jesus? If you're in heaven, it's a pretty good possibility you do. You'll never be able to evangelize again. You won't go, well, what's well, what can I pray for? What's rough? They'll be like, nothing. It's heaven, fool. You know? <laughs> and you realize, all of this stuff that we can do today, we can't do then. This is it. And he says here then, the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. This still revolves around you. You wear that, right? For the creation was subjected to futility, but not willingly. Who subjects to futility willingly? but because of him who subjected it in hope, because creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of the corruption. Notice God says that corruption is a bondage. In 1 Corinthians 15.53 it says that this corruption must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, it shall be brought to pass the saying that says, death is swallowed up in victory. And someone will say, death, and you'll say, what's that? And they'll say, I don't know. There's something we used to know about, but death, I don't see it anymore. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs and together until now. Now please understand something. From the fall of man, God used this as a symbol of the fall of the curse. There were two emblems of that. For the man, it was thorns. Remember, he said, you'll work the sweat from your brow, but it will produce thorns. For the gals, it says, well, let me tell you what, it's going to be a little rough having those babies now. Interesting, those two emblems become the very emblems or symbols of the two comings of Christ. Are you aware of that? Jesus comes the first time to remove the curse. How does he do it? He takes the very symbol of it and wears it like a crown as our king upon the cross. You ever wonder why it was a crown of thorns? Because our king went and took the curse to the cross. Because cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. But the second time, interestingly enough, the constant reference, listen to this, 1 Thessalonians 5.3 says, For when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman. They shall not escape. 
understand from Genesis 3.16 to 1 Thessalonians 5.13, God's constantly making a reference that His second time coming is a lot like a woman in, in labor. You can't plan it. And when it comes, it just comes. Now, I will say, my wife's like the perfect pastor's wife. We had our Wednesday night study just like this, and at the end of it, her water broke. We took her to the hospital. Six hours later, the child was born. Our beautiful daughter. But she waited. Ladies, just take note of that. <laughs> so the study was over. <laughs> and she was at church on Sunday. Anyway. What a gift of God. <laughs> Listen. John 16. Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm leaving now. Verse 21. A woman, when she's in labor, that's how that starts. A woman, when she's in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. Yeah, sorrow. In other words, who thinks, yippee, can't wait to have that kind of pain. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you will now have sorrow, but I will see you again. Listen to this. And your heart will rejoice. Listen. And your joy no one will take from you. Jesus said, when I'm raised from the dead, I'm going to give you a joy no one can take. Not just no man. No one. That includes Satan. You're aware of that, right? Satan can't steal your joy. So don't tell me, Pastor Tony, Satan just stole my joy. I'm like, no, he must have stole something else because your joy no one can take. Now you could trade it. Satan goes, look, his happiness. Shiny, shiny. It's like spiritual ADD. It's like, I love you. Oh, what's that? And, you know, and he's like, look at this. this. Oh, this is good. Temporary fun. And you're like, oh, yeah. And he goes, give me your joy. That's what I want. And why? Because he knows more than we do the power of a joyful Christian. A joyful Christian is contagious. A joyful Christian reminds even complacent Christians what we should be doing. And you realize, because in his presence is the fullness of joy. Why in the world would we want to trade that? So let's wrap this up. Not only that, but we also have the first, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption. Do you really? Do I really? Sometimes. It's at times like this I eagerly wait. Other times, I somewhat eagerly wait. Sometimes, I just get caught up in the day. And I forget to wait. And yet in that, God has promised that there is a day when this whole thing, when God's day is going to come. And can I just remind you tonight, it could be tonight. Now here's the fun thing. He says when no one seems to expect that he's going to come. I tend to think that even right now, even we kind of look and think, yeah, but probably not. Good. Don't expect it. That's what Shantae used to say. Don't expect it so the Lord can come back. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5.1, listen to this. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, same word, eagerly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. Paul would say in Philippians 1.21 that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if you go on from that, notice he kind of goes, but to live on in the flesh uh, this will mean fruit for my labor, and yet what I choose, I can't tell. He goes, look it, it's win-win. Can you really say that tonight? Listen, listen to him again. 
to live as Christ and to die as gain. If you can't honestly say to die as gain. Now, don't, notice it doesn't say to die is to lose those struggles. But it's what you get, not what you lose. If you can't say to die as gain, I guarantee you it's because you really can't say to live as Christ. Because if I can say to live as Christ and all I crave is Him, then to die is gain. If what I say is to live is the new iPad, to live is the new whatever, to see that movie that's come out, to live is to try all of the different Dennis variations, to live is, well, then to die isn't gain anymore. You know the crazy thing? The one thing that you will be familiar with more than anything in heaven Look around you. It's us. If the Lord were to come back, my prayer right now is that every one of you, I'll see you in the air. I'd hate to think any of you are like, ooh, I should have made that choice. I, I heard a comedian once say that he hopes during the rapture that he's standing between two unbelievers. He's going to grab them by the hands. Halfway up, he's going to go, do you give your life to Christ or do I let go? <laughs> no. The word hope in the Greek, elpis, close to elvis, but that's entirely different. Elpis means, listen, to anticipate with pleasure. Think about this for a second. When was the last time you anticipated something with pleasure? The thought of it actually jazzed your groovy. You thought, yeah, can't wait for that. Have you ever actually had one of those experiences and when you got there it was actually even better than you thought? Because if you have a few of them where it's worse, you tend not to get that hopeful anymore. I tend to think the journey is half the fun. Every men's advance we've had has been one of those. Can't wait for it. We get there. It's awesome. We get back. It was, it was more awesome than we had planned. I already have the hot sauces. That's the plan. <laughs> we have the hottest pepper that exists in a sauce. It's in my house. Now listen. Verse 24. We were saved in this hope. When you gave your life to Christ, that came part of the parcel. When you actually said yes to this adoption, you actually expected your dad to come and get you. Remember that? That, came, that was part of the deal. You were saved in that hope. But, hope that is seen, that's not real hope. So you're like, but I don't see it. You know what you do see? You actually see the things that are wrapping up that get really close to God today. Isn't that what Jesus said, by the way, in Luke 21, 28, when he says, when you see these things, look up because your redemption draws near? You know what redemption means? You get to cash in, man. That means at that point you get redeemed. You get picked up. And I look around and I think, redemption's drawn near. You know, 50 years ago, we were the ones saying the end of the world is near and the scientists said, what a bunch of idiots. Now the scientists are saying the end of the world is near, and we're saying to the scientists, what a bunch of idiots. We should actually go, yeah, go on, go ahead and freak out. <laughs> Yay! The polar caps are melting. Woohoo! Don't you care? Yeah. But you're polishing the Titanic, baby. And I already got my, life, my lifeboat. I'm already secure. But what if the sun explodes? Yeah, I'm planning on it. Well, there's a hole in our ozone. Bummer. 
I, I mean, pardon me for this, but it just amazes me that the people who actually believe in survival of the fittest are trying to save endangered animals. Now, and I'm not trying to be mean, but if you think about it, you think survival of the fittest, baby. That thing's going to, a new species is going to arise that's bulletproof, that can live without trees, that can whatever. And I'm not trying to be mean. The whole point of it, we as Christians, we're the ones who are supposed to love animals. The other ones are like, who cares? Now, the only reason I say that is this. Sooner or later, this whole thing's going to get cashed in. This has an expiration date on it. And if you're anything like me growing up poor, they really didn't mean as much back then. Expiration, don't even read it. Just eat it. Um, but as you get older, you realize, hey, wait a minute here. Look at this and go, let's, let's deal with this. This world has an expiration date. And whether you like it or not, when it expires, it's just going to, it's going to be over. You can't fight it. And hope that's seen. It isn't hope at all. Isn't hope the evidence of things not seen? Isn't that what Scripture says? If it's the evidence of things not seen, it's a display of your faith. I trust God. And if God said it, people go, yeah, but you can't see it. I don't have to see it. I trust Him anyways. Isn't that blind faith? It's faith. That's all it is. If I need to see it, it's not really faith. Well, I looked at this diagram, and this diagram said, well, who drew that diagram? A guy did. Yeah. And you're going to believe it because a guy drew a diagram. I trust the Scripture. And then I've never had to change my mind about something like that. Hope that scene isn't hope at all. Could you imagine what happens? You walk out this room and they go, you're just mindless. No, actually, my mind's actually full right now. Pretty stoked on that. I hope that scene isn't hope at all. I can tell you what, though. I see signs of Eden. And I'll tell you where I see it. I see it in you. Because I saw, some of you I've known long enough, I've watched what God has done in your life. He has plugged you in, lit you up, turned you on, set you on fuego. I've watched God take some of you that were just miserable, rotten, selfish, self-consumed individuals and you love people and you pray for them and you get excited about them. I've watched some of you who said, I hate the church, I hate anything that has to do with the church. They go, I love our church. It's amazing what God does. And in every bit of that, as we grow closer to Christ, we start to do something really weird. We love each other. And the weirder and more different we are, it seems like the more we love each other. I love that. That's just Jesus, isn't it? That's a hope that was... That's what happens when you don't have to see the hope. You wind up discovering it anyway. Hope that scene isn't hope at all. But listen, why does one still hope for what he sees? But we hope for what we don't see, and we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And because of that, because we don't necessarily see the way this thing is wrapping up is clearly the Holy Spirit is here to help. Because we don't see eternally perfectly. Because I can't necessarily see how every one of my actions really affects eternity, has this broad span of an effect like Adam did with his one sin and how the whole world was affected by it. I tend not to think that one action could affect the whole world. But Jesus thought so. And I look at that and I think, you know what? Because I don't have that eternal perspective all the time, I pray, and I love the fact that the Holy Spirit, listen, listen, prays with groanings that can't be uttered. Literally sounded. So don't tell me that this verse applies to you when you're speaking in tongues, unless you're doing it this way. Because it can't make a noise. That's what the term says. Now there are other verses you can pull out for that purpose. Here, the Holy Spirit is speaking to God in a way I can't hear. And you know what? That's a good thing. Because to be honest, 
There are times I think that I'm going, God, I really, really need this. This is really so important. And they can see the Holy Spirit saying, without me being able to hear, what he really needs to say is, and I'm so thankful for those moments when the Holy Spirit kind of jumps into it and says, what he really needs is this. Father's like, I know. Now, if I could hear the Holy Spirit jump in, if you could hear the Holy Spirit jump in, what would you do? You'd fight the Holy Spirit. You'd say, no, 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 no. I need this. I need a coffee in the morning. I need to catch that train. I need the new blah, blah, blah. I need to get petrol. I need... If I don't eat in the next 25 minutes, all my body fat will fall off of me. Actually, that sounds pretty good. I need this to work out right now. I need an answer now. I need, I need, I need. And the Holy Spirit says, Dad, what he really needs is patience. And he won't get it if you give it to him right now. Now, could you imagine hearing the Holy Spirit say that? You'd think, I thought you were on my side. The Holy Spirit says, you're supposed to be on my side. Because he is the catalyst of intimacy between us and the Father. So the Holy Spirit prays. Intercede literally means to pray over us. He says, Father, he may be praying for a lighter load, but I'm praying for a stronger back. He may be praying for that to end right now, but I'm praying for patience. He may be, she may be praying that that person stop annoying her and move to Siberia. I'm praying that she could learn how to love that person. She's praying, God, smite that person for their blasphemy. I'm praying, break her heart for that person so she could come to know you. She prayed, Father, do anything that it takes for my mom to get saved. And now she's sick and she doesn't see how that's going to save her mother. That's going to be used in her testimony. So she's praying to be healed. And she's going to one of those places that says, you just go there and they're going to smack you in the head and you're going to be healed. But I'm praying because I agree with her. She really wants her mom saved. You really want her mom saved. And you know this is the route. So I'm praying... You don't even get her to that thing tonight. Well, I'm praying that she would go home and keep her faith when this doesn't happen. She doesn't get healed. And we are so busy telling God what the best thing is. Here's the crazy thing. We would agree with him on all the end results. We would just not agree with him on any of the routes there. God, make me like you. And God says, well, there's going to be some suffering involved. And you're like, no. You're God. You can do it any way you want. Just wave your hand. The Holy Spirit says, where do I start? <laughs> we would pray, God, keep Annie here. And the Holy Spirit says, but we want to see Finland saved. Right? God, keep landing here. And the Holy Spirit says, but I've got a better word. And you know what's so great? 
But if we really trust that he really is the smartest, knows the best, and that's the whole section of 9 to 11, if he really is the smartest and he knows the best and he plays for keeps, there's a part of us that everything in our life we can go, okay. Now, to say as Job would, even if he slays me, so will I pray and praise him? You know, that's such a great thing to say when we have like a toothache. It's amazing how dramatic we could be, right? I got a paper cut. Even if he slays me, I'll praise him. God's like, slay you, you got a paper cut. I missed the bus. Even if he slays me, I'm going to pray. God's like, you haven't even begun to suffer. You're like, suffer? Who said anything about suffering? This is suffering. I missed the bus. It's cold out. I'm freezing. You're like, it's 14 degrees out. You're not freezing. I'm starving. I haven't eaten in two and a half hours. I can hear my stomach make noise. Yeah, there's air in there. It's not eating itself yet. And the reason I say that is this. This section ends. We have we are going to go from this next week to all things work to the good of those who love God. Nothing can separate us from His love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And there are some beautiful promises, but this is what's in between it. You know what's in between it? Everything's going to work for my good because it all gets me closer to God today. Now look at I don't know when the last time is you got excited about it. Because the orphanage isn't the worst orphanage. But it's nothing compared to being with your dad. And tonight, my prayer for you and for me is that we get hungry for God today. Because the moment you said yes to him, if you have, to the gift he paid to adopt you, which was the gift of his son dying on the cross for you and raising again, and you said, yeah, I'll take that. All the angels of God in heaven rejoiced. There was a party or a celebration in God's house just like there was in this man's house, only better. The moment it's like, we got our child. And I can tell you the celebrations we had the first time we saw that picture. They gave us a picture of our little girl. She was in one of those like puff jackets. You wouldn't even know how thin she was. She looked like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Girl. She was just... You know, like one of those like ski jackets, which probably why she has prickly heat. It was, you know, 40 degrees out there. Here's the point. Is that I remember what it was like every day to walk around with that picture. And that picture was glued to everything. I made copies of it. Man, I put it all over everything. It was in front of my desk. It was on my Jeep. It was on, or on my car. It was on everything that I had. Man, I just, everywhere I went, I looked at pictures of that little girl. Shantae, that precious girl... There was an empty seat at our kitchen table. Nobody could sit on it. You couldn't sit there. Don't touch Ruthie's chair. She's sitting there. She's not, she's not here yet. Oh, no, no, she's going to be. No one can sit there. Don't defile that chair. She'd push a swing at a park. Empty swing. As far as we were concerned, Ruthie's on the swing. You just She's like practicing before she ever got her sister. Now, can we be like that? To be honest, I learned so much from my little girl on that. Because I realized, man, oh, she, she couldn't wait to get that sister. I feel like the Holy Spirit does that so much with us if we'd let him. Because we pray, first of all, have you accepted the gift the Father has offered of his adoption by paying for your sins at the cross with his son, Jesus the Christ? Have you accepted that gift and said, yes, Father, I'll take your adoption. I'll gladly. 
I'm going to give you the chance to say yes to that. If you have said yes to that, then my prayer tonight is that we would get hungry for God today. Now, suffering in between? Yeah, kids in the orphanage might not dig the fact you got a daddy. Probably. Here's the crazy part. My dad's into adopting anyone who's willing to come. Could you imagine that kid turning around and saying, who wants to come with? I think they all would have come. Well, that's the whole point. You get to invite people in the orphanage to go home with you. Pray with me, would you please? Lord, I just want to thank you so much for this beautiful text. And Lord, I want to thank you for how it, it radical it's affected my own life. I want to thank you, Lord, on earth for adoption and just how so many people have answered the call. I know that's not everyone's call, but I do thank you for those who have, and I pray for those who you still raise up to do so. Lord, that they would take that call and bring into their home, Lord, a child. But Lord, I know this, that we will never pay the price that you paid to get us. For the wages of our sin is death. And Jesus, you chose that price. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you, Lord, that if we are all joint heirs, if we're all your children because of the gift of Jesus, then we're family. And it's not black or white, old or young, thin or fat, rich or poor, educated or not. It's that we all are your children through the gift of your Son, Jesus the Christ. And I pray we would love each other as a family, celebrate you as a family. And Lord, in that, that we would crave that day, even as you've reminded us tonight, that day when we leave this orphanage, And I know even like that child, he had never been there. He'd seen pictures. He'd heard stories. But he'd never been there, but he craved it. Lord, though we've never been to heaven, we see traces of it. We see hints of Eden everywhere as you continue to remind us that this is all about a God who wants to be with his own. I pray tonight, God, for your saints, your children, as you tell us your spirit testifies with our spirit that we're children. And by him we cry out, Daddy. Not just Father, but Daddy. And God, I just pray that like that child, we would run to you and hold on to you and say, I'm never going to let you go. I know that's your heart. You've made that clear. Tonight, the sound of this voice, if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus, if you tonight have, aren't sure whether you've ever said yes, you can be sure tonight. The Bible says if we're willing to confess with our mouth, Jesus as Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. It is 
the inauguration of our, bat, of, our, of our adoption. And if that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer. I ask you to listen. And if you agree, I ask you simply to say amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let those words be my words. Let that prayer be my prayer. So be it in my life. And here it is. God in heaven, I confess to you that I am guilty at my own sin. But you so want me. You so loved me. You so desire me that you allowed your own begotten Son, Jesus the Christ, to pay the penalty of my sins so that a debt could be paid and so that I could be forgiven. And in that all my crimes were punished. And as Jesus rose from the grave, He has the right to be the firstborn, the boss, the master, for which I say, yes, Jesus, be my Lord. Father, adopt me. Lord, as much as I can't see you signing a deal right now, the cross proved it. And so I say, here I am, I'm yours. And as I am yours, have me. And with that I say, I surrender. Confessing Jesus is my ransom, my Savior, my Lord, and you now have my daddy. So here I am, I'm yours, your child. If you really want me, you can have me. In Jesus' name. If you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.